You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, welcome to Built for the Stage podcast. This is Joe Roscoe, founder of Built for the Stage, Broadway's number one fitness platform. If you want to try a free trial, go to the website builtforthestage.com or click the link in the description of this episode and you can work for seven days with your own Broadway fitness coach on an online app. So check it out. No catch, no gimmicks. Builtforthestage.com. If you like Built for the Stage podcast, please rate, subscribe, and leave a comment. It'd be greatly appreciated. All right, please enjoy this conversation. So one of the most important things you can learn is when you're waiting to audition and you're hearing other people audition. You don't want to sit there and go, oh God, I'm so much better than that person. You need to pay attention to what they're doing and you need to be honest about what you can do. And there's always something you can do a little better. So you want to, you actually want to, when you're in that position, you're finding out the things that you need to fix. Yeah, so I had it planned out where my girlfriend would be stationed periodically in the marathon course to hand me a beer. I didn't <laughs> want to be drinking water like those other fools. You ran a marathon and drank beer along while yes, running. I did. Sounds one illegal. It, it, it's not illegal. <laughs> and two. And at, at one point, I ran into a store and bought a beer. <laughs> and then they made us keep our hands on the vehicle, and they went in the 
they went in the milk house and they came out with this duffel bag and Danny had, he was behind a bed in there and there was a 22, a machete, there was a, like a club made out of barbed wire. <laughs> and then the cop would say to me, is this yours? And I'd say, no. And he'd throw it in the car and he said, it is now. <laughs> <laughs> and so, <laughs> so they handcuffed us and there weren't explosives though. I thought there was explosives too. Joe, will you let me tell the story? Oh, I'm so sorry. So. Got his attitude in a Mexican jail. Rope four arms pushing roof and nail. Got his eyes crossed by a trooper stick. Teeth busted up because it was a quick. So you've performed for 54 years. Yep. You've you've been in a band, man child, you've been in an opera singer, you've been in musical theater, you've done jazz, you've been arrested for being in an explosive barn. So 54 years of all this experience, for people listening to the podcast, what could you leave them with as far as helpful advice or just things that you've experienced along the way? that could be beneficial to someone pursuing this career of performance? You, you need to be open to advice. Um, and you have to be brutally honest with yourself about whether you're competitive or not. And you have to remember you need other people to help you down the path. And you have to allow them to help you. We were so idealistic, or I say that when we were in the band, that we uh, ignored advice that would uh, have helped, helped sustain us while we got better. So I know exactly what I would have done in retrospect. For instance, we signed with Capitol Records. Well, we idolized the band, but and we wanted to play our, all our own instruments and and you know sing on the album. Well, Capitol Records had the greatest group of studio musicians in the history of popular music called the Wrecking Crew. We should just let them let the Wrecking Crew play our songs and us sing them. That was one one thing we should have done. But no, we had to do it another way. We went to Nashville. And um, even there, we got really good advice on how to change some of our songs so they'd be hits. But, oh, no, we don't do that. Because the, the songs wouldn't be weird enough. And we thought because the songs were weird that we were exhibiting genius. We were just showing what dumbasses we were. We were very creative, but... Um, it was a business, and we needed to proceed with a plan, like running a marathon and having this step-by-step -step thing. And so uh, that and whatever you go into, even if you don't go to school for it, you must 
learn how to learn and train yourself so that you have a certain amount of technique. Because uh, if you're going to make art, you have to have technique. Yeah, it's like fitness where um, you don't just start looking at this magazine and this video and this, that, and you just go in the gym and start throwing things against the wall and hoping it sticks. Right. You have to truly learn how what's what you're seeing, how it's actually being put together. It's like a car. It's not it's not about the car, it's about what's under the hood. Right? People hear these voices uh when they're singing, but what they're hearing is just an outcome of many layers that's under the hood as far as technique goes. Okay. You put on a great show for me last, last no, two nights ago. Oh, it was terrible, actually. It was terrible? Yes, I'm embarrassed. Yeah. I'm a lot funnier than that. Oh, man. And so it's not gonna, it's not gonna reveal my true genius. <laughs> uh, when you, you've been in a lot of auditions, not just doing them, but just sitting in on them, casting, a show or at the college for people to get into programs. Right. Can you pretty much, when the person walks in the room immediately before they even open their mouth, know whether or not it's going to go well or, or not? Do you, do you kind of feel like you have that sixth sense now? Uh, no. But once they start talking, um, you know what's up. Okay. Kind of. In what way? Well, uh, you were really good at this. Nobody had to teach you how to do this. But so when you audition, the people at the table want you to be in charge. I mean, they'll tell you when to start and all that. But what I, what I mean by that is they don't want somebody who's coming in there trying to please them because it, it, all of a sudden, the burden's on them to like them. And uh, they're not taking care of their business. So the person at the table wants you to come in, take control of the situation, and actually show them what you can do. Now, this doesn't sound like a big, big deal. It's a huge deal. So they'll be more comfortable if you know what you're doing. And you're not trying to do something that you've never done before. How do you gain that how do you gain that confidence? Because sometimes I feel it's not enough just to be talented because our mind in, right. in so many different areas of life, our mind does not allow us to have our talent be enough. So how do you gain that confidence or that professionalism sure. to audition? You have to have a certain amount of technique and you have to have uh, Every, everything that you do has to be broken down to simple, repeatable steps. And yeah. when, you, when you go on stage or when you go in, don't go out there all amped up trying to do something that you've never done before. Yeah, it's like in, in fitness or, or trying to uh, execute a big lift or do something in sports where there's thousands of people out there and the pressure's on, you can't, 
you have to have done it so many times where it's just instinct, right? Is that what you're kind of saying with the technique thing? Like no matter how much pressure is building up or no matter how big or small the audition is for you, if your technique is down pat solid, it, do, it doesn't matter what you're maybe emotionally feeling, the technique will be there no matter what. Right. It's like in the later rounds in MMA fights when people are exhausted, the person with the best technique, that's what you call on when you're exhausted and you don't think you can go any further. You, you keep repeating these techniques. So as a lot of you know that follow along on the Instagram page at Bill for the Stage, I'll be running the New York City Marathon this November and it'll be an affiliation with an organization called Action for Healthy Kids. And the reason that I'm running for this organization is that childhood obesity uh, and mental health, physical health, those things are really kind of near and dear to my heart due to some family, some people closest to me. So if you're interested in contributing to that, please sign up for a subscription. Not only will you get help yourself physically, but each new subscription, I'll be donating $20 of that towards my campaign for the marathon towards this organization called Action for Healthy Kids. Along with that, David ran a marathon himself back in the day when he was a wild child, and he shared that story with me. So take a listen to this pretty comical marathon story. I don't really like running. That's a problem because I'm running the marathon. And I just, when I start running, all I'm thinking about is when it'll be over. <laughs> when you were training for your marathon, what, when you would run, was it therapeutic or was it, what was the reason you ran? Well, it's just, it was something I wanted to do, and I, I saw this article in Runner's World. If you could run three miles at a time, you could train for a marathon. So I said, well, I'm going to do that just because I wanted to do that. And the marathon craze hadn't caught on yet, but what I was able to do was just... What year is this? Uh, 1979. Okay. And so... They had this three-month plan, and that's what I did. I just followed the three-month plan. Yeah. Now, I liked, I liked it a lot, except there was one thing. Toward the end, we got off of daylight savings time, and so I had to run after work because I was a proofreader at a law firm, and I was trying to be a singer. Um, and so... What kind of singer? What do you mean? Opera singer. I oh. Was, were you in, at college studying at that point? No, I, I was out of college. Oh. I hadn't graduated from college, but I just was like, I wanted to be a singer. I didn't, I didn't want to go to those other classes. Mm -hmm. And so, plus I'd had a career in rock and roll and I'd come back to school. Man child, right? Yeah. And then, and then, so by my senior year, I was ready to make my professional debut as an opera singer. And I had rehearsals and stuff, and they wanted me to go to theory class. And I went, what? Really? <laughs> I'm going down to New Orleans. I'm going to do 
believe in this opera? No. I mean, just yeah. later, alligator. But um, so I'd, I'd won some competitions and I'd gone away to San Francisco and I was in this big uh, summer opera program with the San Francisco Opera, and then I'd come back. Uh, I came to Houston to study with this particular teacher, and I was able to get a job proofreading at this famous law firm. And it figured heavily in the impeachment of Nixon, uh, Fulbright, and Jaworski. And um, so I was training for this marathon. I developed this phobia about running in the dark <laughs> because all my long runs ended in the dark. <laughs> Why did you have a phobia? It made me crazy. I don't know what it was. <laughs> you know, I hated you know. running in the dark. What, you were afraid you were going to get mugged in Houston? No, 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 no. You just couldn't see. <laughs> there are no, street, you know, no street lights along the streets of Houston? Oh, no, not in Houston. I don't believe in property taxes and <laughs> all of that stuff. It's like so what, capitalist cluster, you know what. You're, you read a, an article and you're like, oh, I'm just going to run a marathon. You yes. weren't a runner previously? A little, yeah. You, oh, you ran a little bit. Well, I, yeah, but I didn't do really long distances. Um, I, um, I had read the book Aerobics by Kenneth Cooper. And so uh, I would do workouts, shorter workouts, like maybe the most ever three miles. Um, and so he had this fitness test. You needed to be able to run a mile and a half in uh, 12 minutes or something like that. I was just right always on the cusp of that. Now, you know, I, I'd only quit smoking cigarettes a few years before that, and I had scars on my lungs. That's why I didn't go to Vietnam. And uh, yeah, so, so my lungs were com compromised. When you were training for this marathon, you weren't, you weren't like, some serious athlete that was only eating the best stuff and oh, no. only drinking water. And... Oh, no, no, no. Oh, well, tell us about that. Well, yeah, I mean, that training for the marathon was cutting in on my drinking. <laughs> and so... That seems like a problem. Yeah, so I had it planned out where my girlfriend would be stationed periodically in the marathon course to hand me a beer. <laughs> I didn't want to be drinking water like those other fools. You ran a marathon and drank beer along while yes, running. Yes, I did. Sounds, one, illegal. It, it, it's not illegal. <laughs> and two. And at one point, I ran into a store and bought a beer. <laughs> you ran off the runner's course to well, go. Well, just barely. To go into. It, well, no, the water station was in the parking lot of a convenience store. <laughs> <laughs> and you skipped the water and went straight for a beer. Yeah. But then she was making me this laurel wreath so she, for the last uh, 13 miles she was too busy trying to hand this like old school olympic laurel wreath to me to and wear to run with at the end she put oh, on, she had to like put on your head time olympics yeah and there were no beers and then i hit the wall you hit the wall well before we talk about hitting the wall was this a full can of did you have to stop you chugged the beer, like you drank the whole thing, you took a sip. Like, well, I had skills. Okay. Because if you drink enough of them, you, you got you just, skills. You just guzzled it down? Yeah, but beer, uh, 12 ounce beer was like two swallows. <laughs> and then you just kept running. Well, yeah. 
<laughs> you didn't feel bloated while you're running? No. Why? Because at that point, beer was water to you. Correct. But now you're... you're well, I got that idea because there was this doctor named George Sheehan. Okay. Who ran, as long as he could, he would run marathons and stuff. But he would drink beer during marathons. So that was my, he was my idol. Okay. Did he do it for any medical reason? Well, he just thought it was a good way to replace the electrolytes. <laughs> oh, is that so? Okay. Well, this is, you got to understand, I'm running Nike waffle trainers. I might as well have been... In sandals? Uh, right. <laughs> how, uh, how was it when you hit the wall? What do you mean you hit the wall? Well, I noticed something was wrong and there were tears running down my face. <laughs> and uh, so you're, you, you literally are engulfed in pain. It's, uh, it's like, it's bizarre. And I always say I ran the last three miles with my arms. I hit the wall. And you're running on your hands. No, I wasn't running on my hands. I, I couldn't feel my legs. What kind of beer were you drinking? Coors. What? Do you think if you were drinking Bud Light instead, you wouldn't have hit the wall? No. It w maybe you hit the wall because Coors is not as. Are you kidding me? Sufficient of a beer as. It's called Bud banquet beer, baby. What? It is awesome. What if you were drinking Natty Light instead? Natural Light. I wouldn't have been able to get it down because of the <laughs> nasty taste. All right, so wish me luck on my marathon as I'm as I'm. Uh, running for action for healthy kids. God bless me. I will need it. Oh my gosh. So like I mentioned in David's intro, he has written two albums, one called Galvestown and the other Jazz Blues Gospel Shoes. And he shares some stories with us coming up about just things that happened in his past that really influenced him to write a couple of certain songs on the albums Galvestown and Jazz Blues Gospel Shoes. So take a listen once again. Pretty wild stories and I uh, hope you enjoy. You have a song, you have a couple albums to talk about uh, Beetle Boy driving off. You, right, you got. Right. You were in some type of explosive barn or something. What happened there? You're gonna blow up something. What happened? We weren't gonna blow anything up. We, <laughs> I know. What's we ran that? away from home. What's that story? Well, I wound up getting a job picking peaches in Clarksville. And um, but if you're talking about the hair, and in those days, um, if the hair if the hair on the sides kind of touched your ears or whatever, and you didn't. You didn't put product in it and sweep it back like Elvis. And you had bangs in the front. You know, you were like the Beatles. And uh, you were a target of ridicule and violence from rednecks. And I don't know if anyone's told you this, but Arkansas is full of rednecks. And there was a hobo there picking peaches. He would be sleeping on a blanket also. That was the first time I ever saw a human being take a bath standing in a wash tub. Anyway, so we, I don't know what, we're making 60, big money, 60 cents an hour, something like that. And uh, at the end of the week, since my name is Bankston, I was at the head of the payroll. And so the, uh, the foreman said, instead of saying Bankston, 
come get your check. He said, Ringo, come get your check. And so that's enough. Ringo from the Beatles. Ringo from the Beatles, yeah. When did you go to sleep, though, in the barn, that particular barn, with the... Well, we'd... Uh, when you, we got and, back, and when you, we got back from picking peaches, and you got arrested, and you can't go, in, we can't go in the old milk house where the dynamite was, which we didn't find out until the, I guess it was the next afternoon in court. What um, do you mean in court? What happened? Well, we got well. I'm getting ready to tell you. So, so um, one of us was a national trampoline champion. He was a gymnast. Oh, really? Yeah, he could do flips, he could do anything. So he got bored, and he decided to climb this tree. And so he gets up on the top of the tree, and he goes, Bison! I said, what? We're surrounded, man, we're surrounded! <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? There are police everywhere! Somebody had, some of the neighbors had called the police because they didn't like these long-haired kids. And so they had surrounded the area all these police cars, and the guy who had first stopped us when we went to Arkansas, Officer Atwell, came walking up the road. He says, I told you boys to get back to Louisiana. You remember his name, Officer Atwell? Yeah, because he threw down. <laughs> he drew his, he drew, he his, drew his weapon. He drew his sword at you. Huh? And he said, get your hands up. And I, and he said, I got him about halfway up, and then, no, get your hands up. Bong! You know, they just, Jumped up like that. And then they made us keep our hands on the vehicle and they went in the they went in the milk house and they came out with this duffel bag and Danny had he was behind a bed in there and there was a twenty-two, a machete, there was a like a club made out of barbed wire. <laughs> and then the cop would say to me, Is this yours? And I'd say, No. And he'd throw it in the car and he said, It is now. <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> so they handcuffed us and there weren't explosives though I thought there was explosives too Joe will you let me tell the story oh I'm so sorry so they uh, so they took <laughs> us in two of us had to go to county jail and two of us went to city jail now I can't remember if I was in I think I was in city and the, the two who were 17 went to county and the two of us who were 16 went to city and so, um, oh, Newton was crying, man, when they put us in the cell. <laughs> he was just crying like this. <laughs> and uh, we get in there, and there's only one damn mattress, and one of the bunks is bent. And I want to know who bent that bunk, because it was made out of steel and it was welded to the wall. And I had to sleep on that one because I felt sorry for Newton because he was crying so hard. <laughs> and, uh, so we spent half a day in the jail and then our trial was that afternoon. Okay. Okay, so it turned out we'd gone to Sunday school once at the Baptist church because this, this girl I knew up there was, you know. You were chasing a girl at church. Yeah. I mean, we'd been on a camping trip and we decided to we got bored with camping, and I said, I know these girls in Fort Smith, let's go, bang. So we went, and then our parents didn't know where we were. So anyway, my parents somehow, oh, I think, and then somebody from the church, I think, knew my name, and they, 
they found my parents and they called them. And it turned out that the Sunday school teacher, whenever we went to church, was a lawyer. So he wound up being our lawyer. And so uh, we went to trial that afternoon. And uh, so we get there, and uh, the guy who went before us was on trial for indecent exposure. You know, he had that tattoo on the backs of his uh, fingers, like one hand said hate and the other one said love. Anyway, he was guilty. <laughs> hey, bad boy, that a thing to prove. His tattooed shoulder said born to lose. I saw as we tangled shouted and shoved backs of his knuckles said hate and love and uh <laughs> they, they got him at the same pool where we'd gone public pool where we'd gone swimming maybe the first day we got to Fort Smith that's where we had our first conversation with Officer Atwell who suggested that we go back to Louisiana <laughs> and so uh Oh yeah, and so and so the trial started, and all of a sudden I saw Danny there. I didn't know why Danny was there. I, it was because of the milk house. And uh, so they—that's the first time I ever heard it. When I got on the witness stand, that was the first time I'd heard anything about any dynamite. Officer asked me about dynamite. What? <laughs> Excuse me? Dynamite? Yeah, uh, Yes, sir, there was dynamite in the uh, milk house we were staying. And, oh, my God. And uh, so I, I said, well, no, I didn't know anything about that. And, you know, they, they listed these other weapons. Well, we couldn't see in there because there was no light. There was just a bunk bed, bunk bed and a regular bed. And um, then our lawyer calls Danny to the stand. It turns out Danny had been arrested before for trying to blow up a bridge with dynamite. And so he had stored the dynamite in this milk shed where they stored the milk for a, a dairy farm. It was, you know, in 100 degree temperature. Dynamite's not really stable. You don't store it in heat like that. And we were sleeping in there with his dynamite stash because I guess it was his secret dynamite stash because the police had confiscated, confiscated his other dynamite that he was trying to blow the bridge up with. So did they put you away in jail because they thought it was your dynamite? No, we pleaded guilty. They agreed to uh, uh, not, you know... Uh, Prosecute? Not, not leave us with a criminal record. I, I had the, I had the, uh, the genius idea of, of pleading guilty. No. I didn't have to plead guilty. I was going to plead guilty so they wouldn't call my parents. But I found out that if I had I pleaded guilty, I would have had a mandatory year jail time. Woo! Thinking outside the box, baby. So I guess God was looking out for us. And so here was the deal. It was like a Western. Uh, not guilty, no record, if we would leave Fort Smith, Arkansas before sundown. 
you, you hombres got to leave town before the sun goes down. Well, I didn't tell you the other part. After we were picking peaches, we got in a head-on collision with a guy who had just gotten out of the reformatory, who had also another charming tattoo that said Born to Lose on his arm. And um, his name was James Lip. <laughs> and the state trooper, it was his fault. He was on the wrong side of the road, but he just gotten out of the reformatory and had no insurance. When we got down to the general store to report the accident, when the state trooper walked in, the guy on the store said, hey, buddy, these them boys that hit James. <laughs> so they call it no fault, so James wouldn't have to go back to the... And, and you have get, songs all about this. I do. Yeah. Called Dear Mr. Dillon, because that's the rest of the story. So I don't know where we stayed that night, but it was some dive. I mean, I can't. Anyway, so... We said, Your Honor, we can't leave because we don't have any headlights. We've gotten a, we've gotten a head on collision. And they said, Well, then you got to leave at daybreak next morning. So when we were leaving town, I was nodding off in the back seat. And Ryan Collins, who was driving the gun, says, Mason, wake up, wake up, wake up. And it was uh, Dylan singing this new song we'd never heard. How does it feel to be on your own with no direction home, just like a rolling stone? That's the first time I heard that song. Dear Mr. Dillon, on the radio, sometimes I feel like a rolling stone. They call me Ringo, Beetle Boy, you better get back home. Sometimes I feel like a rolling, rolling stone. And that'll do it with David Bankston. Thanks again for being on the podcast, David. If you want to check him out, he's at Bayou Bankston on Instagram. And go to Spotify or iTunes, check out his albums, Galvestown and Jazz Blues Gospel Shoes. He just currently retired from teaching, so he'll be doing a lot more writing. So be on the lookout if you're into his eclectic style of music. Once again, if you want to try a free trial, go to the website, BillForTheStage.com or DM me at BillForTheStage. Until next time, it's me, Roscoe. Signing off. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, 
sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.